Hey guys, I have to leave a little message again before the episode actually starts. You can blame the FIA for this one. This was actually recorded before Fernando Alonso's podium was reinstated. So the episode you're about to listen to is going to say that Fernando Alonso finished P4 and George Russell was on the podium, when in fact that is not the case. Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 46th episode. The Remember? I am not doing that anymore. Okay, so the intro from now on will just be, it's the 46th episode and get straight into why I'm here. And that is because of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We just had 50 laps around the Jeddah Cornish circuit. And I think going into the weekend, you know, I, 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 a different winner may have been uh, the outcome of this race than what we would have expected going in. That's all I'll say because we have a review to do. So let's review Jeddah. As per usual, we're going straight into the storylines heading into the weekend. I think looking back on Bahrain, I mean, I touched on some of the the major stuff with Ferrari and Mercedes in the preview, so I won't go back on that. But with Ferrari, the 10 second or sorry, the 10 grid place penalty um, with Charles Leclerc was definitely a big thing going in. I think Ferrari had performance higher performance expectations going into this weekend for sure and with the 10 place grid penalty it was a bit unfortunate sending Charles back when maybe we were hoping that he could bring a bit more of a fight to the Red Bulls um but either way Carlos Sainz was unaffected he's taken it they both took new power units but Sainz didn't replace his control electronics in Bahrain Charles did so Carlos is just on basically his second allocation of all the components where Leclerc had to take his third control electronics and they're only allowed two for the season. So uh, grid penalties will be imminent once again for, for both of those drivers, unfortunately. Um, but we'll talk about Ferrari reliability later on in this podcast. Again, trust me. Um, I think one of the big stories that was completely unexpected and I mean, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it is somewhat big because it's uh Lewis Hamilton and his physiotherapist have have split Angela Cullen she has been around for a long time and the details of what the split are the reason for the split hasn't really been even found out yet Lewis is keeping it a a little bit tight-lipped but from what I've heard it was Lewis's decision to let her go um but they still seem like they get along very well. Lewis was even saying that she was getting texts from her, wishing her, wishing him luck. And I don't know, maybe it's just that Lewis felt it was time to move on to someone new. Like I said, it's all speculation because no one really knows. And uh, Lewis actually kind of refused to, to go into the reasons. So just thought I would let everyone know there. If you were ever wondering who that kind of short blonde white uh, woman that was uh, always first to hug Lewis after a race and whatnot, who she was, she was his physiotherapist and the physiotherapists in F1 are typically very close to their drivers. I know Daniel Ricardo, for example, I forget his, I think his first name is Michael. I forget his last name, but he is very close to Daniel on race weekends as well. And it's, it's just not uncommon for that to happen. I just think that as polarizing or just because of how polarizing Lewis is him being with uh, Angela all the time, just stood out maybe more than some other drivers, but um that I'll I'll leave that there because I I don't really have any information that I can share. Just I guess Total Wolf was interviewed about it and he just said that Lewis was thinking about getting a new physiotherapist for a while now. Who knows? He might just be saying that to you know get to the next topic. But l- looking at practice though, uh, for the for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, it was uh, let's just say ver per and alo. You know, obviously the the three letter abbreviations for the three drivers. I hope you can figure out who they are. Um, they have been the top three in every single practice session so far, and that includes Saudi Arabia. 
Um, and already jokes being made if they're the new Ham Verbot or Ham Bot Ver, whatever. Basically, when Hamilton would win most of the races, followed by Bottas and Verstappen on the podium, they are the most successful trio in terms of podiums in F1 history. And we saw that throughout um, this weekend quite a bit, um, especially in practices. I will not get into the results of qualifying in the race just yet, though. Um, just thought those jokes were funny that we're already seeing a new uh, a trio for every single race, Verper and Allo. Um but let, let's get into quality. I wouldn't say there were any major storylines other than that really heading into this race, just like how dominant is Red Bull going to be and is anyone going to be able to, to make a step up? Um, and through practice, Red Bull was dominating in Q1. Red Bull already showing that their pace in practice was absolutely legit. Um, so not really much action going on up top, honestly. I think what was more interesting going on in Q1 was perhaps what happened with Logan Sargent, who looked like he had an actual phenomenal first banker lap uh, in Q1. And then it was deleted, and I thought this was hilarious. And I didn't see anyone make any comments like this, but I remember at least from playing the F1 games. So basically, in Jeddah, turn 27, there is it's it's a wall. The barrier is a wall. The track limits are are a wall. So to have a track limits violation going into the final corner. For those who may not remember it, it's where Max Verstappen lost uh, the pole lap that was that was never meant to be. Um, basically, it was, it was turning out to be one of the best laps of all time. And of course, he ran into the wall in the last corner and F1 wouldn't stop mentioning it this weekend. Um, but yeah, it was that corner. So how in the world could he get a track limits there? So what Sergeant did was actually, you could see when you come out of the exit of that corner, um, the pit exit is right there on the left and the line comes out actually quite far um, right to the exit of the corner, um, the pit exit line that is. And he crossed it and even um, there's like part of uh, the painted track there that a lot of circuits have. I mean, I'm, it's hard to explain, I guess, when I don't, you don't have a visual, um, but part of the painted track there that's besides like the start um start finish straights usually and if you think of coda where they have that huge uh sweeping right turn they have like the american flag like stars all painted there there's like a spot of painted track right there too and that he you know to get the shortest run of the line had like part of his tires like right over that line and the reason i brought up the f1 game is because the game actually lets you do that you don't get a warning unless you're you know, four tires or you, you won't get your lap time deleted. Obviously, the F1 game is completely accurate. Um, but I just remember that you would do that because it was the shortest run to the line. So it just makes me wonder if Logan Sargent is playing the F1 game a little bit too much because obviously he didn't know that he couldn't do that in this race. And then he had a bit of a mare for the rest of Q1, um, having a spin that ruined a set of tires and then came out in his third set of tires and then had a mechanical issue. So um, he actually had to get granted permission to start the race because there's a rule that you have to be, you have to like set a time or be with the 107% rule. I don't know. This is just something I read on Twitter. It was from a verified source, but I thought that that rule was abolished, but apparently not. Um, I guess it makes sense because if you think about it, everyone with grid penalties I think they always do go out and just set a lap. I don't think they just sit in the garage and just say, well, I'm P20, who cares? I think they do always go out and set a lap. So maybe, I don't know. I maybe should have looked into that. But I heard that he actually had to get permission from the FIA to start the race for that. And they said it was okay because he set representative times in practice. He was not the only one who had a bit of a rough Q1. Lando Norris had a streak of making it out of Q1 that was snapped, and it was his own doing, unfortunately. Also in the last corner, he turned in just a little too tight, hit this front wheel on the wall, and I think broke a bit of his suspension. He was not able to come back out, and just like that, he was starting from the back alongside Logan Sargent. They were joined by the Alpha Tauris and Alex Albon. I had a bit more of a hope for Alex Albon going into this race, being the fact that my bold prediction was that he would score points. Williams was was decent. The midfield is very tight this year, but unfortunately, he did not move on to Q2. Um, but in Q2, was 
Q2 is probably the most dramatic session of qualifying, actually. Um, and that is because as it looked like Red Bull was just absolutely cruising to a front row lockout, all of a sudden, Max Verstappen reporting a drive shaft issue. He made it all the way around the lap, but unfortunately, he had to get out of the car. His 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 gearbox was toast. He actually had to take a new one for the race. So that's maybe something to keep an eye on because later in the race, he was actually mentioning similar issues. Um, we'll get to what happened with Max a little bit later, though, of course. Um, classic me, I was getting ahead of myself. I can't help but mention something that's related, even though it's in the future. And I try to do things here chronologically, but I can't help myself, I guess. Um, in Q2, though, of course, people start sniffing blood because, of course, Perez is still extremely fast in that Red Bull. But you could get on yourself on the front row here and line up alongside. Who knows? You get a good start. And you could drive off into the distance. You never know. So a front row start was definitely on the cards with Verstappen out of the picture. Um, and I'll leave the the drama up front, I guess, for my Q3 breakdown. So in Q2, the Alfa Romeos and the Hasses joined Verstappen in uh, the elimination zone. So yes, Q3. Personally, I did expect Perez to, to cruise to pole position. But that wasn't really the case, actually. I think... Leclerc had an absolutely great lap in Q3 to bring himself within a couple tenths of Perez. Alonso also had a decent lap. A bit worrying from signs, to be honest. Uh, I had high hopes that he would be on top of the car a little bit more at the beginning of this season. And I I even said to, to uh, Darnell from King of the Take a few weeks ago, when he had signs as an underachiever, I made the bold claim that I think signs can can really match Leclerc when the car's pace, like when it's a trickier car to drive, I think Sainz is a bit more adaptable in that way, where if you just have a car that's on rails, Leclerc is going to be the guy because he just shows so much confidence in his car when he drives, especially in qualifying. That looking, that's so far, it's only two races in, and it's looking to be a bit of an L take right now because the Ferrari isn't looking as fast as we hoped. Um, I thought in qualifying, they really could. I had Leclerc on pole even though I wasn't aware of the the grid penalty, of course, yet. Um, I had Leclerc and Paul, and especially if Max is in that session, he wouldn't have been close enough. Um, so, yeah, of course, Perez snags his second pole position, both of them at the Jetta Corniche Street Circuit, which is kind of funny. Um, it's, it's just, I don't know, that's probably the first time that's happened in history where, you know, the first two pole positions of someone's career are at the same circuit. That seems very odd to me. Um, just, you know, like someone who's good enough to get a pole position, usually it's either a fluke or, you know, they're good enough to get some throughout that season. And, you know, Perez only gets the one last season. And then the entire season where Red Bull was so dominant was not able to get a pole position. And then the next year gets his second one at the same circuit he got it from last year. It's a bit strange to me, but. Good for Perez, I guess. I'll also mention George Russell, who had a fantastic qualifying session, just absolutely dummying Lewis Hamilton, honestly, throughout. Like, Lewis, of course, was in Q3, and he he qualified uh, for P7 behind Esteban Ocon, which is also not a great look. Um, Mercedes did say they think they'll have better race pace than they'll have a qualifying pace, which was not really what I thought I saw in Bahrain, but it's, you know, it's in line with what we saw last year. They really lacked quality pace and then the race they would seem to be a little bit better um so yeah just just props to georgia really because he smashed lewis in this session he's up two nothing in qualifying head-to-heads already um so great job to george um and that does bring me to i guess the final storyline heading into the race of course it's not heading into the weekends that's why i'm touching on it now and that was lewis's comments what i thought were very interesting about um the lack of confidence he has in the car. I have the quote here, so allow me to read this again. I promise it is not as long as the Mercedes letters. And I also promise I'll start getting some other quotes from uh, some other teams and some other drivers. I know I've only done Mercedes and Lewis while I wear this uh, get in there Lewis shirt and my Lewis Hamilton hat. Um, no bias on this uh, break bias uh, podcast. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, the car is where it is. George did a great job. He's right up there on the second row. So the car is obviously working. I just don't feel connected to this car. No matter what I do, no matter what I change, I can't get the confidence back. 
I just struggled to extract the performance from the car in the high speed. The car was a bit understeery. It's a little bit different. Yeah, one or two different things. Hopefully, we'll be okay for tomorrow. So he said that after qualifying. And just to hear the seven-time champ just say he has no confidence in the car, it's it's tough for me because I almost see it as maybe a bit of an excuse. Um, but I think it's more so a message to the team. Um, more than it is, I think partially it could be an excuse, you know, getting getting beat by like five tenths to George Russell um, right away. Just, you know, you're not just going to accept that George is faster or something. It's obviously, oh, yeah, I don't have the confidence, which I mean, I guess, is admitting that George was better in a roundabout way. But that's why I do believe that the message or these comments are really aimed towards the team. Just be like, guys, we need to develop this car and or just go in a much different direction. But of course, we've had that talk with Mercedes already. They uh, actually seem to show a little bit more optimism about their upgrades coming soon. So hopefully that works out. It's a shame to see Mercedes this slow and really every every car besides Red Bull as slow as it is. Such high hopes for Ferrari at the beginning of last season. And based on this rate, how this race is going to go. You're not going to get much more confidence in Ferrari, unfortunately. So let's let's get right into the race. I uh, didn't really have much hope for Lewis's race. Um, I kind of ruined my segue. Uh, Lewis said he didn't have much hope for the race. I didn't have much hope for him either when I saw him on the hard tire to start the race. There's the segue. Um, has absolutely just no... Uh, just it, it just doesn't work anymore now, does it? But <laughs> anyway, uh, at the start... Um, Alonso got on. I didn't even say the, the qualifying. I, I got way ahead of myself in qualifying. Jesus. Um, so Leclerc finished second behind Perez and Alonso was third, but Leclerc had the, the grid penalty to send him back to 12th. So Alonso on the front row for the, for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Just awesome. George Russell starting P3. Carlos signs P or was it Lance Stroll? I don't even remember. I think it was Carlos Sainz P5 and Lance Stroll P4. I think so. Yeah, geez. Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, at the start, Alonso starting right next to Perez. He jumps into the lead, um, and I was pretty excited about that. I was like, wow, well, not only does this bode well for Max Verstappen, who's starting back in 15th, um, not letting Perez just kind of drive off into the distance. I was like, who knows? You know, maybe Alonso can do something from here. Um but almost right away, Alonso noted for an incorrect starting location, just like Esteban Ocon in, in Bahrain. Tough one, except um, when you look back at Alonso, he actually wasn't too far forward or too far back. He was too far left, which I thought was kind of strange. So it's nothing to do with the yellow line. He was not placed within the white lines correctly. So he received a five-second penalty right off the bat, and I was like, well... There it is. Okay, Red Bull is definitely walking away with this one. Um, so that was a big oof. Um, but I'll, I'll say this. This really didn't play a big part of the race, but Lance Stroll's move on the outside of Signs. well, I guess that gives it to you right there. Signs would have been in fourth and Stroll's fifth. Stroll's move on the outside of Signs into the uh, sweeping left-hander. I don't know the turn numbers very well in Saudi Arabia. I'm sorry. But the, the big sweeping left-hander, kind of almost a hairpin, the move around the outside um, was was very, very sweet from Lance Stroll. I'll just say that. Um, but also at the start, tough one for Oscar Piastri, who who made it into Q3. And, you know, obviously out-qualified Lando Norris. So great job from, from him. Right away, touches um, another car ahead of him, loses his front wing. He has to pit with damage. And... I didn't see what happened to Lando, but he also had to pit. So the McLaren sent right to the back again. Just a very tough uh, opening two legs of the season for McLaren. Um, but not only did Alonso get that uh, five-second penalty, looking back up at the front, um, Perez was all over him, even without the DRS, and it only took four laps for Perez to just take the lead back on merit. Um, all the while, Leclerc, by P, uh, lap nine, or sorry, by lap four, he had made up positions to P9, and Verstappen was still P13 behind the Hasses. And then in every single race, you know, they always go into showing the replays at the start, and they show them for a while. And 
this race, especially on Sky Sports, it felt like an eternity that we were still talking about the replays and whatnot. And by then, Verstappen was up like three positions. And I was like, I would have liked to see that. Um, I mean, I know I could have jumped to Verstappen's onboards, but still watching an onboard, unless I started watching with multiviewer, which I have a few times, and I suggest for uh, people that watch Formula One alone, um, it is pretty cool to watch it on multiviewer. Um, then you can have your favorite drivers on board along with the main feed and any data that you want to look at throughout the race. It is pretty cool. Um, but in this case, I'm watching with family and I'm not going to have multi-viewer up for them. We're just going to watch it on the main feed. Um, so not knowing really what was going on during those replays for and jumps up three positions, which I kind of was annoyed by. Um, but yeah, also, if you look further back, Hamilton, only one on the hards, right? Everyone was on the mediums except for Charles Leclerc. Yeah, yeah, all mediums, and then Lewis on the hards, and then Charles Leclerc on the softs. Um, down, of course, down to P12. I think there was Sargent and Lando who were on hard or soft as well. Um, but Lewis was definitely struggling on the hards, especially in the early phase of the Grand Prix. Esteban Ocon was actually starting to pull away. Um Later on in the stint, Hamilton did pull back, but Ocon pitted and there was no action really there. Um, but looking ahead to lap 17, I thought this is where it was starting to get really interesting. Verstappen had caught all the way up to the back of Charles Leclerc and he was going to get the move done because you could tell Verstappen was very clever in how he did this. He would ride the DRS all the way to the back of the final corner instead of you know jumping ahead and letting the other car get the DRS into turn one. He would just bide his time, just wait behind the car and uh, make sure he gets a good exit onto the pit straight and overtake them there. And then he could buy by the time they get to the next DRS zone, he'd already be a second ahead just because the Red Bull was on rails in sector one. Um, so Leclerc ended up pitting anyway. So we didn't get to see really any action there, but Verstappen was absolutely going to pass him. So by then he had already dispatched the, the main guy who was going to be in his way. And then it was looking ahead to the rest of uh the i guess the rest of the the field ahead of him um so we're at about the first pit stop uh phase here and lance stroll got actually uh ferrari masterclass strategy to bit he got overcut um with a dummy call they called signs into box they brought stroll in instead and actually not only did signs overcut stroll so did leclerc and as soon as Stroll gets gets behind those Ferraris, everyone's like just realizing what had happened. And already Stroll is pulling over to the side of the road. He has a mechanical failure. He is out. I will say this. Stroll is definitely off of Fernando's pace in both qualifying and in the race. And at some point that is going to be looked at. I think by Australia, if you wanted to say there was no more excuses for Lance Stroll with his wrists and all that, I would say sure, that that's that's fair. Um, personally, I'm going to give him give him until Baku. Everyone's going to be a month off because that gap between Australia and Baku is just insane. It's almost like a little mini summer break. They're going to be able to refresh, come back, kind of all in the same level. That's that to me is when Lance Stroll has no more excuses. He has to be closer to Fernando, um, because as of right now, I'm still going to give him a pass and. It's a shame for him too because I think him he needs the running in the car because Fernando was still has an entire test ahead of him as well. So for him to have the uh the retirement is is a bit of a shame. But fortunately for Fernando, it's uh it was always car number 14 last year, and this year it's uh car number 18 so far. Um so yeah, right that re that retirement with the mechanical issue, which I still don't know what the the issue actually was, brought up the safety car and this really changed the uh the grand prix quite a lot um so there's quite a bit of field spread by this point up front like pretty much every car up front had at least a three second gap to the next one so that of course gets all nullified and i was very worried for checo here because he drove a great first stint to to build quite a bit of a lead um and this would help max a lot who you know all that gap he was like a whole pit stop behind paris at this point now they're right behind each other. Well, not directly because there was cars in between, but you know what I mean? Um, and Max was very, very quick in the early stages of the safety car restart, passing cars left and right. He had already got past Lewis. 
But speaking of Lewis, remember when I said he was on the hards, his first stint wasn't horrible. And in fact, he was able to get out in front of Charles Leclerc because the Ferraris had pitted and Ham- uh, Hamilton hadn't. Um, and there's a bit of a riffraff as well with Ferrari there because Leclerc wasn't told uh, soon enough that he had to, he had to kind of actually pick up the pace to make sure he got out in front of Hamilton and he wasn't told. So Hamilton got out in front of Leclerc. Um, that didn't really, well, I guess it did matter because yeah, it mattered a lot. What am I saying? Because Lewis, he was on the hards. So he was on the mediums after the safety car restart. Um, everyone else was on the hards just because, you know, there, he was on a different strategy than everyone else. So he had the tire offset in the early stages um, of the safety car restart was really fast because of that. But was he going to be able to make it, you know, the whole 30 laps left of the race? That was the question. So he actually was able to get past Carlos Sainz on the hard tire. Um, well, Lewis on the medium, Carlos on the hard. Sorry if I'm making this uh, a lot more confusing. And he was right on the back of George as well, um, who got ab- like the, the the move that Verstappen made on George to uh, put himself into into P P3 because Fernando was still there. Um, that move was ridiculous. Like I, it actually made Martin Brundle uh, say like just wow on the broadcast because it wasn't like a skillful move. It was just how freaking fast that Red Bull was like it absolutely blew past the Mercedes stopped on a dime and just turned in and drove off into the distance like it they they were saying it looked like f1 versus f2 and and it was absolutely true and they even said not a slight at mercedes just a compliment to the machine that red bull has built and i completely agree the red bull is a phenomenal piece of machinery and and this race really really proved it um but yes back to lewis he was right on the back of george and it seemed like you know he almost could have got the move done on, on uh, the pitch straight the one time, um, just not close enough. And it seemed like, Oh, here we go. Like there might be some team drama here. Um, but George was like, no, like the, I think we should, uh, we should hold position. I'm just trying to worry about Fernando. He still got his five second penalty and they're Like George, George, Fernando already served it when he was in the pits. You, like, don't worry about that. And he was like, Oh, well, yeah, to tell me this because he was all just worried about maintaining a five second gap instead of actually attacking Fernando. Um, so that part I think is what allowed Russell basically to just pedal to the metal after that. And he started pushing a little bit harder and Lewis's tires obviously started to fall off. And I think at that point, Lewis just knew what was going on. So he's like, I'm just going to make sure I get to the end of the race, which absolutely was the right call for the both of them. Um, so I'm glad that you know, any team drama didn't materialize there because it was just, it was definitely better for, for Lewis to just back off and hold on to his tires and, and just let George be. Um, so this, this part of the race gets a little bit less action packed, I guess. Um, no, I wouldn't say there was a really a ton going on in the midfield. So it's hard for me to, you know, break down what was going on back there. Cause I wouldn't say anything that interesting was going on, but after Verstappen passed Alonso, with relative ease, I would say it was half a race distance. So by lap 25, all there was between Verstappen and Paris was just five seconds. And I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. I imagine, you know, Max is going to be inching towards Paris. And I mean, he kind of was, but at the same time, their lap times were very similar. And, you know, Paris would also get some time back here and there. And by the end of the race, it just never really materialized. And, I'll say this too. So Max, like I said, was starting to report those drive shaft issues at this point in the race. And Checo actually also reported a long brake pedal and this type of stuff. Like, so if you're really analyzing the race and you watch all the onboards and all that footage, you're going to come across, you know, drivers reporting, you know, giving feedback throughout the race a lot more often than you are. If you just watch the, the normal feed, um, so that's why when you hear these things, especially when it's a one, two and they are miles out in front and then you start hearing like, oh, there's this little issue I'm seeing with the car. Oh, I'm having this little issue. I think honestly, those are just played on the broadcast to like, you know, give fans hope that, oh, maybe something is going to put an end to this dominance tonight. And 
of course it wasn't going to. They they all they had to do is bring the cars home. They were so far ahead. So I just wanted to point that out because if anyone was like, oh my God, we might see a, a retirement. Oh my God, Perez is, is getting an issue too. We have, might have a Red Bull double retirement. No, like that that did not happen. Um, so before I get into the final results, though, I will say there was a very tasty battle on lap 46 of lap 50 between Magnuson and Tsunoda. Um, Tsunoda was defending Magnuson for a long, long time, and he, it didn't didn't quite work out for Yuki, unfortunately. Magnuson did make the move uh and it was uh, it was a crazy one like he he had uh gone through on um what was it he had gone through on the last turn and then got re-overtaken and then like laps later he had to make such an aggressive move on the brakes they both locked up and they were both so close to touching it was very aggressive driving but great job from kevin magnuson honestly to get that move done so uh yeah just Pass, grab that P10 point was pretty awesome. And it's also back-to-back P11s for Yuki Sonoda. That is a tough bounce, especially for Ralph Tyre, who remain pointless on the season. Um, so, yeah, that that's pretty much it. Perez was able to hold uh, a gap to Max, who clearly also just let off um, at the end because he knew he wasn't going to catch Perez. And, and he was actually harvesting to go for the fastest lap point, which I will get to in a second. So just amazing job from Paris. I think it's definitely one of his best races in Formula One, either this one or Singapore, honestly, um, and or or I guess secure um, that win. I I always argue that that one's a bit overrated, but I don't want to get hated on uh, at all, so I'll uh, leave that one alone. Um, but I really wanted to talk about Fernando Alonso again crossing the line for his one hundredth podium. Just a what what was that, Fernando? Didn't get a hundred podium. Okay, that's basically what happened uh, with <laughs> with the FIA today. Um, Fernando actually celebrated his hundredth podium on the podium with the Red Bulls, um, and then afterwards was told, "Yeah, remember that a uh, five second penalty that you're supposed to serve a long time ago? Yeah, you basically pulled an Esteban Ocon. You didn't you didn't serve that correctly. The rear jack man touched the car." So Fernando's 100th podium is taken away from him. He is sent back to P4. And actually, Lewis Hamilton was two-tenths of a second um, from going above Fernando as well. So tough one. Um, and it's also, I guess, worth pointing out that, like, had, you know, th- like uh, Fernando served this penalty on, like, lap 20. There was 30 laps to the end and possibly even more. I think Fernando may have served it on, like, lap 18 or something like that. Um, so... That, that to me is just insane. They had so much time and, you know, both George and Lewis could have pushed harder or just, you know, they, they may have raced the race a little differently or managed it differently because they know they have to be within 10 seconds of Fernando. So Lewis may have just, you know, cruised to the line on the last. I, I don't know. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to say, though, he definitely would have done it, but it changes the the. It changes how you manage the race for sure. And I think that's a bit unfair to uh, the people that were in touching distance of Fernando, but it is what it is. At the end of the day, I think the penalty is unfair. So worrying about what was going on in the Mercedes is kind of secondary at that point. So tough one for Fernando. Um, I'll also say this before I get into, you know, just listing the final results. Perez gets off his car, cel- is celebrating. You know, they always do the jump into the team and he asks for Stappen is caught right in the middle of this. And I, I I hate doing this with the Mac stuff, but they just can't help themselves. I mean, really Yoss Verstappen looked, it was, it's just, it was a bad look. Everyone was high-fiving him, patting him on the back, cheering. And Yoss Verstappen is sitting there like, this is really awkward. Cause I don't like you. Like it was, it was bad guys. I mean, seriously, ESPN F1 tweeted the video. It, it, it's got to be seen by a lot of people by now. And I can guarantee you most of these comments are not in defense of Jos Verstappen. Because also just throughout the race and when seeing that check who got pulled and when it's like, just have a smile, man. Like, Jesus, he's so Mr. Serious. And you wonder why Max Verstappen is the absolute beast that he is. Because you imagine how his dad treated him and trained him growing up. I could just imagine. I knew a few of those playing hockey growing up and... Yeah, that's all I'll say. Um, So the final results, of course, Sergio Perez picks up his fifth win in F1. 
P1 ahead of Max Verstappen, who came all the way from P15. So still a really great effort from him, even though his car is really miles ahead of everyone else. Um, he also did nick that fastest lap point to keep him ahead in the driver's championship, which we will also break down. We didn't do it in Bahrain because it was just the results of the race. Now we have a legitimate driver standings. Um, P3, George Russell, first podium for him and Mercedes this season. Who knows how many of that we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if podiums are going to come to Mercedes as often, even as they did last year with Aston Martin now in the mix. Um so Alonso, of course, dropped down to P4. Really good showing from him and really a shame, especially he drove a great race, robbed him of his 100th podium. But how he is running in that Aston Martin, I imagine he will get that 100th podium again in no time. Uh, Hamilton, P5, not really a special race from him at all. P6, Carlos Sainz. As soon as the Ferraris put on those hard tires, I didn't mention them again, did I? P6, Sainz, P7, Leclerc. Very slow on the hards, very disappointing for Ferrari and disappointing for my uh, fantasy team. I thought that I could get some good points from McClaire, uh with the grid penalty and him making it up only to P7 uh, does not cut it, unfortunately. Um, P8 and P9 were the Alpines, Ocon in front of Gasly in that order. Uh, they certainly do look very even matched, the Alpine drivers, um, and I imagine that they will both be in this area of competitiveness for most of the season. Um, in P10, lastly, was, of course, Kevin Magnuson, who grabbed that final spot from Yuki Sonoda in the dying stages of the race to get Haas a Constructors' Championship point, get their season rolling. So now let's look at the driver standings. Max Verstappen. He is ahead of Sergio Perez by one point, and I think already it's fair to say that the, the battle between uh, the Red Bulls will decide the Drivers' Championship. I will definitely be backing Max Verstappen, but that's, I think, what we're looking at from here. In uh, P3 is still Fernando Alonso. Um, he has you know, still finished P3 and P4 in both those races, 27 points, already falling behind, of course, to uh, the Red Bulls, but... He is still ahead of everyone else, which is pretty insane when you think about it. Um, it would have been Carlos Sainz and Lewis Hamilton tied for P4. However, because of the penalty that gives George Russell three more points, he jumps them both. He is one point ahead of those two. So tight battle right now between Russell, Sainz, and Hamilton, all at 21, 20, and 20 points. Then it takes a pretty far step down to Lance Stroll, who unfortunately... Uh, didn't get to score any points this race because of his retirement. He was running pretty decent, and he definitely would have been point scoring, possibly fighting with the Ferraris in the dying stages or even with one of the Mercedes. I would have, you know, enjoyed seeing him in that fight. We were robbed of it, and, of course, that also hurts Aston Martin and the Constructors. So Lance Stroll's only at eight. Charles Leclerc, what a bummer. I mean, looking at what he had last year, he had like 38 points. At this point last year, he only has six. A, a DNF and a P7 to start the season for Charles Leclerc. That is tough. He's only two more points than Valtteri Bottas, Esteban Ocon, and Pierre Gasly, who are all next at P4. So usually I do the top 10, but since we're still, still so early on, I'll just go through everyone who scored a point because Kevin Magnussen and Alex Albon also have one point for P10 in uh, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, respectively. Now, looking at the constructors, Red Bull assumes their place on top where they belong uh, already with a commanding lead at 77 points ahead of Mercedes. Mercedes is P2 in the constructors. Um, and this was another thing that was mentioned on the broadcast. Mercedes has been so doom and gloom, yet they're ahead of both Aston Martin and Ferrari at this point, which is better than where they were last year. It's just that Mercedes doesn't compare themselves to uh, the, the midfield and the rest of the pack behind the front runners. They compare themselves to Red Bull, who are absolutely blowing the competition away. So they just see that they made a bigger step than they did, and they were already ahead. So that's what's concerning Mercedes, of course. But it is just kind of funny when you when you know they've actually technically made an improvement. But you know, it's I mean Aston Martin being in the mix also doesn't look good for them at all. But anyway, Aston Martin is only six points behind Mercedes again. These teams would have been even. It would have been plus three for uh, for Aston, minus three for Mercedes. So it's a net six points, and that is the difference between the two teams. So 
George Russell's podium and that 10 second penalty is what has Mercedes ahead of Aston Martin at this point, which is still kind of insane because, you know, both Mercedes have finished uh, the race uh, each time and Lance has only finished the race one time. So I would still say things are looking good for Aston Martin at the moment. Uh, and then Ferrari, yikes. They were really hoping to to do something this year. They are sitting fourth in the constructors. Um, a DNF and a P7 is uh, not what they really want to see from their championship boy. That is for sure. Um, but they still are in the fight with Mercedes and Aston Martin for sure. And they are way ahead of next who is Alpine, they jump Alfa Romeo. They now have eight points on the season. Alfa Romeo still has the four points from Valtteri Bottas in Bahrain. And then Williams and Haas are on the board. Alfa Tauri and McLaren still at zero points. McLaren, zero points to start the season. Not, not good. Not, not good. And I will be talking about them in my prize, demise, and surprise. Well, I I did think about these ones a lot. Um, the prize seemed like the the most obvious one, and I have to give it to Sergio Perez. Um, there were some other arguments for some other drivers um, and some other teams, that is, too. But just all things considered, how do you give a prize to Max Verstappen when, you know, he probably needs to be winning the race um, to win a prize? Uh, Fernando Alonso gets shafted. Aston Martin actually not a great weekend when you consider a DNF Mercedes, they still are nowhere near the where they want to be Ferrari, massive disappointment. And the list goes on. So really it's got to be one of the Red Bulls and Perez won the race. I think he is the most to gain from here because these were probably the races I needed to win. I think Bahrain was a bit of a missed opportunity um, when he lost the pole position in the last corner and then got off to a bad start. I think he really needed to fight max to start the season because once we get into the traditional circuits that's where max has always um shown his uh ability over paris so i'm hoping paris can at least keep this interesting for a little while um and as of now he is doing that so um great job for sergio you win the prize i don't really know what else to say to be honest so i thought a little bit harder about who my demise and surprise were going to be and the basically the two contenders for demise are actually going to be the demise and the surprise. Um, so the demise is going to be McLaren, uh, for very obvious reasons. They were just chilling at the back again for this whole race, even though we actually did get to see a bit of the pace of the car. Piastri was very fast in qualifying, and it looked like Lando was going to be quick, but then he makes the mistake. They both lose their front wing and have to do a nose change early on. And they're not that quick where they're just going to start carving through the midfield. So very unfortunate for McLaren. Um, and they are, of course, the demise. Zero points after the first two rounds is pretty unacceptable. So let's hope Australia, that was kind of the big bounce back, bounce back week for them last year. Let's hope they can do it again this year. Um, and then the surprise is Ferrari. I really, really thought that this was going to be a better weekend for them. And they slapped on those hards and were nowhere, nowhere. They were slower than the Mercedes. And that to me is just insane. Cause in Bahrain, Ferrari was comfortably quicker than, than uh, the Mercedes, in my opinion. Of course, Hamilton was kind of on the back of signs um, in Bahrain. Um, and he wasn't able to get the move done, but, that just I attributed that more to just signs struggling than I did. Oh, Mercedes and and uh, Ferrari are on equal pegging here. Like no, I compared Hamilton to Leclerc, and really that was no contest. So to see um, at a track where I thought Ferrari would be better, and you know, there's no tire deck here. They are supposed to have this great power unit. Where was that? I mean, it just didn't seem like they had pace, which I always thought they had pace. They just have other issues. So to just to see the obvious lack of pace was just shocking to me um so that's why i think they fit better in the surprise than you know because they easily could have been my demise as well so ferrari not only were you you were a surprising l <laughs> that's what you were um so now i'm gonna continue this storyline segment uh for overreaction and traction um and i figure 
since I'm continuing this for the time being and not really doing a championship segment just yet, um, I will go and talk about last race's storylines and just give an update as to uh, whether um, these these storylines gained more traction or they're proving to be an overreaction. So the uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned Aston Martin will beat Mercedes. That is definitely a storyline that's going on right now and i mean possibly even ferrari for for god's sakes um i'm actually sticking with this as an overreaction that's what i said two weeks ago and i'm not changing that um and that is for the reason you know aston martin just broke down um mercedes had the best reliability all year last season probably and aston martin's breaking down maybe that's a bit concerning for mercedes as well but i don't know what the issue was so it's hard to say um but also, it's Alonso versus, you know, Lewis and George, where Lance Stroll, let's be honest, is not quite on the level of those three. And it's still so early, and Mercedes are very optimistic about these upgrades that they're going to bring. So to say over the course of the entire season that Aston Martin is going to beat Mercedes is still just seems a bit too soon to me. So I'm not changing that. I'm still saying it's over an overreaction. I'm also not changing uh, uh, my my take on Ferrari's reliability. Uh, I said that has traction, and I think it still absolutely does. The fact that they had to take a grid penalty, and they both took new power units, and then I don't know if the power units were turned down or what was going on because they had no pace again. So that, to me, is definitely concerning, and I definitely am not going to change my take on that. However, I will change this one. My one storyline is that Red Bull will dominate the season. And I said, guys, that is an overreaction. I've already given in. Week, week, uh, round two, sorry. I'm saying Red Bull is going to dominate this season. I think even if the gap closes a bit, it's so big that it's just, it's going to be over before any team can even make it close. So this is already a, a wrap, in my opinion, unless Red Bull shoot themselves in the absolute foot. Um, or, you know, there's some regulation or they get caught cheating again or something like red, red bulls got this in the bag. Um, so I've already given up on that one. I thought, you know what? It's only one track. Let's chill here. Yeah. Uh, to dominate the way they did in Bahrain and then, then Jetta it's, it's over, unfortunately. So I'm changing that. That definitely has traction. Red bull is probably going to dominate this season. Um, so now I have, uh, three new ones for, for this race. And I'm thinking now in Australia, it's going to be hard to monitor, especially if I introduce three more, because then I'm going to have six old ones and three new ones. That's just going to be a little crazy, but, um, back to McLaren. McLaren is lost at the moment. Is that fair? It's fair, but it is an overreaction. It's only two races in, um, they, McLaren what did they do they scored four points in the first uh two races last season something like that um and Ricardo at least you know he was running in the points when he retired in Saudi Arabia last year but um yeah they showed more promise last year than they did this year and they had more specific issues last year so it will be harder to turn around um but I still think it's an overreaction to say they're completely lost in what in what's such a tight midfield McLaren's going to be up there and and it honestly does look like Piastri is quite a solid driver so that is an advantage that they're going to have I just think um, with Aston Martin making the step that they have and then it does seem that Alpine is definitely clear of McLaren that's going to be the challenge for them is that there's five teams ahead of them and when there's five teams ahead of you it's hard to get into the points week in week out because if they don't retire or if nothing you know nightmarish happens to them they should be there so that doesn't give much room for Lando and Oscar to uh, to even be special and get into the points. So I think that's their issue. But are they lost? No. I still think um, I would have McLaren pegged for P6 in the championship. Uh, maybe I sound crazy saying that, but I, I it's, it's still a long season, man. Like, there's 20 races to go still. So much can happen. And uh, I believe that McLaren can turn it around at least a little bit. Um, so, yeah. Overreaction. Now, can Sergio Perez battle Max Verstappen this season? Some people think he can, um, but I think that's more of a pipe dream. So, yes, I'm going to say that's an overreaction uh, to Sergio Perez battling Max Verstappen this season. I've always said Checo is the street sultan. 
That's that's what I have nicknamed him. I haven't heard anyone say that, so I'm coining that one. The Sultan of the Streets is, is Checo Perez, and he won a street circuit. There is more traditional circuits on the track and hybrid circuits than there are street circuits. Perez might be uh might be, you know, looking good right now, but he was looking great at this point last year as well. He always has some sort of slump where he just doesn't understand how Max Verstappen is extracting the performance out of the car that Max Verstappen does because Max Verstappen is an absolute animal. He's one of the best to ever do it already, and he's only, what, 26 years old? Checo is a great Formula 1 driver, but it doesn't go any further than that. So for me, it's really hard to say, yes, Perez is going to battle Max. If he has some luck on his side, maybe it can go longer than it did last year. Um, but he will need some luck like, you know, he just had today. Is that luck going to continue? Probably not because Red Bull is such a well-oiled machine machine and Max Verstappen just doesn't make mistakes. So good luck, Checo, but I unfortunately do not back you to battle Max Verstappen this season. So my last one, I I, I was only going to do two, but I'm like, what am I going to say? Both are an overreaction and I'm going to sound like I can't commit to anything. Like I couldn't commit to Aston Martin challenging at the front this year i said they were still going to finish by mclaren i'm so pissed that i didn't commit to that um so i am going to commit to something with traction here and that is that there is no midfield i know everyone's saying oh the midfield is really tight this year and i even use that terminology in this race review um but how i see it is what what is a midfield usually you know there's front runners a midfield and then there's back markers there is no midfield. There is no back markers. Well, unless, yeah, I mean, maybe there are back markers. That's just the entire field besides Red Bull. Um, but there are the guys who are fighting for points every week. There's Red Bull, of course, um, points and podiums. And then there's, you know, Alpine, who are kind of the king of the midfield right now. And then there's just everyone else. There is no back marker. So how can you say there's a midfield? It just... It's just the rest of the grid. So hopefully you're understanding what I what I'm saying. Maybe I'm not explaining this very well, but there is there is absolute traction to the how tight the midfield is. It does seem that Alpha Tauri to me is maybe a step behind. Um has seemed to uh improve their race trim. McLaren just needs to get their shit together. Um and Alpha Romeo, I think, is just gonna be inconsistent throughout the year. Um, because Valtteri looks great in Bahrain and then was experiencing a ton of issues in this race and another massive L for my fantasy team, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, the midfield is where the excitement's going to be this year. And maybe we can get some battles between Aston Martin, Ferrari and Mercedes, but unfortunately Red Bull is going to be driving off into the distance. I'm going to say that right now. All right. Well guys, that is, uh, my race review. That's going to do it for the 47th episode of break bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. And I'll be back next week uh, to preview the race in the land of the Oz. Uh, I guess the question is, can Perez take the fight to Max, uh, the Sultan of Street? It's a hybrid circuit, so it's kind of a street circuit, but not really not the type of street circuit that we see Perez uh, go off on all the time. Um, so maybe Baku is when it's going to be interesting again between them. But yes, let's see what Paris can do because that's all we can hope for in a driver's championship is that Sergio Paris brings the heat. Um, so we'll be able to find that out in due time. Goodbye.